two guys are walking down a street, and one guy asks the other guy, he says, hey, how you doing? The other guy looks back to him, and he responds, well, I'm good under the circumstances. And the other guy responds back without missing a beat. He says, well, what are you doing under there? So church, I'm going to ask you a question. How you doing? Some of you say good, and some of you say probably fine under the circumstances. And I would say, well, what are you doing underneath there? This morning, it's kind of fitting. This is the first time I've ever driven to church. I looked outside of my, uh, my window in my car and realized that the rain is fitting to the message that we're talking about this morning. Because we're talking about being depressed and just being down. And uh, man, I, I don't know about you, but I don't like the rain. You guys like the rain? If you're a farmer, you probably love it, but I, man, I just, I'm like, I just want to go back to bed. So somebody said that, didn't they? They said, I just want to take a nap. I want to go back to bed. Well, if you can hold off for about 40 minutes, that'd be great. I just don't want you to take a nap right now. Uh, but man, the rain, for some reason, just is depressing to me. I like the sunshine. I like it to be about 90 degrees. My wife is on the other hand. She loves it when there's about 12 feet of snow on the ground and it's freezing cold. So... <laughs> All right, well, let's just have a little congregation, a little uh, challenge here. How many of you guys like it when it's hot? And how many of you guys like it when it's cold? All right, let's separate then. You guys are like, it's hot over here, I'll preach to you. And the guys that are cold, I'll, you go over here, man. That's, that's crazy. Uh, let me give you some facts about depression. You might have said, man, I can't believe I'm sitting next to somebody like this. I didn't know that about them. There's probably lots of things you didn't know about the person sitting next to you. But uh, there's some facts about depression that maybe you you knew, maybe you didn't know. But uh, 14.8 million adults are diagnosed with depression. And a typical age of that is experienced at the onset of depression, about 32. So I got one more year left. And then I'm going to get clinically diagnosed with depression. And everything's going to be okay. Um, but it's more prevalent, what they say, it's more prevalent in women than it is in men. Some of you guys, some of your husbands are like, ah, I knew something. I knew that's what was going on, right? I knew that's what was wrong with her. 33 children, one in eight adolescents, have been diagnosed with clinical depression. It's been known to cause cancer, strokes, heart attack, HIV, Parkinson's disease, eating disorders, substance abuse, diabetes, et cetera, et cetera, so on and so forth. On the marketplace right now, there's an average of 37 pills to treat depression, Some of them you've seen on television, some of them probably not, but 37 pills are on the market right now to treat depression. And if you take these pills, they say you could have increased fatigue, sleeplessness, weight gain, tremors, constipation, sexual problems, chest pain, decreased appetite, anxiety, et cetera, et cetera, so on and so forth. I'd rather be depressed. (laughs) It's interesting to note, though, many of the common symptoms of depression are the pills, uh, excuse me, it's interesting to note that many of these common problems of the depression the pills are supposed to relieve are actually the things that they enable. So it's, it's funny, if you look at kind of how it works with the medication, it really just makes the problem worse. Uh, pharmaceutical companies claim that depression can go away from just uh, or, or, excuse me, pharmaceutical companies claim depression always comes from a chemical imbalance. You just have to take a pill and it goes away. That's a big lie in the pharmaceutical world. Let me give you just some symptoms, maybe if you're feeling depressed. Uh, difficulty concentrating, making decisions. You don't have a lot of energy. You feel guilty, worthless, helpless, hopeless. Maybe you can't sleep or maybe you sleep too much. Maybe you overeat or maybe you don't have an appetite at all. Maybe you're anxious, you feel empty, you have feelings of thoughts of suicide. These are some of the symptoms of depression. Now, we have to take a side note 
and um, look at it and realize that it's important to note that while clinical depression is vastly overdiagnosed, that there is such a thing as a chemical imbalance that can occur that develops into a psychological disorder that may need medication to help balance out the chemistry in the brain. Now, if you suspect that this may be an issue, then we would say at Community Gospel that first and foremost, you need to go seek out really true professional help. All right, what we're talking about today is different than a chemical imbalance in the brain and something that is very serious. CGC has several places to contact for help in these cases. And if you're really somebody who's saying, man, I don't know, Jordan, maybe I am really clinically depressed. I need some really true help. I mean, this message was good, but it's just a lot deeper than that. Then you get with me or Jonathan or the elders or anybody on staff or any one of our team and say, hey, who can I contact? Don't be afraid to contact somebody for help if you feel that there's a big problem there. Today, we want to focus on the common feelings of depression i.e. feeling down, feeling beat up, depressed. And we find ourselves in these low places of despair is what we're going to see in 1 Kings chapter um, 19. We're going to look at uh, Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19. So if you would go there, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1 through 8 is where we're going to start. Elijah has a couple of signs of depression. Okay, so you're going to see if you can kind of relate to what's going on with Elijah. Elijah, first and foremost, in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 3, he is afraid, he is suicidal, he is exhausted, and he feels rejected. So let me go back and just give you these one more time. He is afraid, he is suicidal, he is exhausted, and he feels rejected. I've been there, you've been there, everybody's been there. Elijah, though, in the Old Testament, he has no pills to cure his pain. He has all these thoughts, they start flooding into his brain, he's got no pills to cure his aches. But why would Elijah be depressed? Let me give you just a little bit of background before we go into this passage. See, he's got no reason to be upset. He has just prophesied about a great drought in 1 Kings chapter 17. He challenged 400 prophets of false gods revealing their impurities. He says, hey, these guys don't preach the living God, I preach the living God, let me show you what this is all about. He completely ruins and destroys all of these prophets' claims. He sends fire down from heaven because of the fact that he is a faithful servant. Can you imagine that if you had the ability to send fire down? It's interesting. If you go in the New Testament, the disciples, they say the same thing. These guys essentially are kind of messing with Jesus and his clan. And they look at Jesus. They say, hey, Jesus, you want to send down fire from heaven and kill him? Be pretty cool, wouldn't it? Man, if somebody's giving you problems, wouldn't that be awesome? I just send down fire from heaven and woof, you light up like Jack-Jack in The Incredibles. That'd be cool. Anyway, that's beside the point. But what's awesome here is Elijah has a huge spiritual revelation from God. He knows that he's real and now he goes down into the depths of his soul. And he's bumming out. And we look at it and we realize that spiritual powerhouses like Elijah and all these other guys, even the immature in the faith, go through seasons of despair. We need to know that depression is not always a lack of faith because God never leaves us regardless of the emotions we go through. What we need when we get depressed is to take a break, listen to the Lord, and let God deal with us and help us beat it, just like Elijah. Okay, Elijah, 1 Kings 19, 1 through 8. Let's read this together. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. 
He told him how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So you see, this is starting to unfold. We're getting a backstory here. We're getting kind of an idea of what's going on. He tells all that Elijah had just done, how powerful Elijah is, how he had killed the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sends a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also, if I not make your life as the life of the one of them by this time tomorrow. And then he was afraid and he arose and he ran for his life. Verse three, they're talking about Elijah. He was afraid, he arose, and he ran for his life. Three things are very clear of what starts depression and what starts kind of this decay of who we are and how we feel. We get afraid, we start to, we stand up, and then we run for our lives. Did we miss verse one when it says all Elijah had done? He came to Bezerilla, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. Verse four, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and he sat down under a broom tree. Oh, poor baby. And he asked that he might die. He pleads with the Lord. Nobody's there. He pleads with the Lord. God, just kill me. Is it enough, oh Lord? Take away my life for I'm no better than my father's. And he laid down and he slept under a broom tree, kind of like Job. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. A messenger of the Lord, an angel comes down and he touches him and he looks and behold, there at his head was a cake and baked on it was hot stones and a jar of water. Look at the Lord's provision here and the angel of the Lord comes down a second time. He touches him again. He says, Elijah, you got to get up. You got to do some things. You need to arise. You need to eat for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and he ate and he drank and he went in the strength of the food 40 days and 40 nights. To Horeb, the Mount of God. Amazing. What happens here? Well, let's start to pick this apart because the whole thing in verse one through eight, what he's talking about is he is afraid, he arises, he runs for his life, and he goes to get away with God. What I'm gonna do today is I'm gonna kind of culminate everything that we've talked about in the past four weeks for you. And when I say the next sentence, it's going to make total sense because we've been talking about it for four weeks, and I know that it's kind of, it's, it's right there, but I want a light bulb to go off in your head. If you want to cure your fear, if you want to cure not having to get up and running for your life and dealing with some of these symptoms, the whole point is then you have to, church, I'm going to tell you this again, you have to get alone with God. Number one, write that down. You have to get alone with God. I can't stress this enough. I can't tell you this enough. I feel like I've told you it for the past four weeks and I hope a light bulb just goes off in your head and you're like, oh, I get it. I need to get alone with God. And listen, this is what happens. Elijah, he experiences this great victory in the Lord through the defeat of Jezebel. He was a dominant force for the Lord. I think you guys forget sometimes that us who are fighting on the front lines and, and pastors and people who are on our team and people who are really, uh, really putting in their all and all their effort, and they say, hey, we give our whole lives to this thing called the ministry. There's great victories, and then all of a sudden we just get really depressed. It happens fast because we're like, yay, God is awesome. Oh, it happens so much. And here Elijah is really bringing that into full view. For you guys, it's the same. You could have a victory at work. You could have a victory in your house. You could watch your kid who will do something absolutely phenomenal. And then two seconds later, what do they do? They do the exact opposite. It's like, mom, look what I can do. Oh, I'm so proud of you. And then wham, they hit their brother or sister. What are you doing? So you have these kind of emotions that ride and you're like, wow, I was feeling really good. And now I don't feel so great. 
And Elijah is so unhappy that he pleads with the Lord. He says, Lord, take away my life. An angel comes to his rescue. He gives him food. And he wants him to make this journey to Mount Horeb. Now watch this. The ancient name for Mount Horeb is Mount Sinai. Did you track that? Mount Sinai is where who? Anyone? Moses. So we see this is where the law was given to Moses. If we look at this in context, we realize that Elijah is going to the same place to get with God that Moses went to get alone with God. And so Moses and Aaron and David, Elijah, Samuel, Paul, Peter, John, Constantine, Luther, Lincoln, Mozart, Lewis, Graham, etc. All these greats knew the secret to a great life and that is that they were to get alone with God. They understood that this is the secret to being happy. This is the secret to not running when your problems hit. This is the secret. You have to beat depression by spending a life being buried with Jesus Christ. People don't like this. This isn't, this isn't good in the world's eyes. Now, I want to give you a side note here to understand this passage of Scripture just a little bit more. A direct trip uh, to Beersheba, to Mount Horeb, would have taken Elijah approximately 14 days on foot. That's about 200 miles. Why I tell you that is sometimes you have to go a great distance to get alone with God when you're really depressed. I've told you this before, but it's true. My dad uh, has been in the ministry for 40 years, and he understands how great of a place Canada is. He would be one of those guys that loves the cold, okay? He is completely opposite of me. He loves uh, it just being freezing, and he likes that feel of his fingers practically falling off of his body because he's so freezing cold. And I don't get it, but he loves it. And he goes up to Canada, and he fishes, and he spends time with God. I said, Dad, why do you go to Canada? He says, Jordan, let me tell you why I go to Canada. First and foremost, in Canada, there, there's no such thing as a cell phone. You can't reach me with a cell phone. And if you really wanted to reach me, you'd have to drive for 12 hours. Then you have to get in a boat. You have to take the boat across the water. You'd have to find me in a hut. I'm not going to be there. I'm going to be in the water somewhere. And he says, and then, even if you did find me, the problem that you wanted to find me for isn't really a big deal. So you get to go back home. <laughs> I said, I want to go to Canada. <laughs> and I have a couple of times. It's amazing how God is there in the still. Man, he's just present. Sometimes you have to go a great distance to get alone with God. Sometimes you have to plan it out. Henry uh, Beecher says, the first hour of the morning is the rudder of the day. Hudson Taylor continues kind of that quote, and he says, the best time to tune up your instrument is before you play the concert, not afterwards. I would ask you, church, as we start to apply this passage to our lives, what has God, first of all, called you to do with your life? And secondly, have you gotten alone with God to hear the validation to his call? What is God calling you to do? What does he want you to do? What does he want you to participate in? And have you gotten alone with him and really listened to his voice? Have you removed yourself and gotten alone with God? Time alone with God means that we spend time in prayer, and we spend time studying the word, it's the most powerful antidepressant that we have. One time I went to Canada with my dad, and it was funny, my dad and his uncle Dave, or not his uncle Dave, it would be my uncle Dave, they're so funny because they're a little bit older and they like to sleep. So we sit in the boat and they're funny, they got it down where they can hold the fishing rod and they can kind of, you have to do one of these to kind of bob the lure a little bit, those of you who fish. And so what they'll do is they'll lean back in the boat and they'll sleep. But they have it down because they've been there so much that they can do this in their sleep. It's really creepy. (laughs) 
So what I did, I'm young. I don't fall asleep like they do. You know, I tried it one time. I ended up dropping the uh, fishing pole in the water. Dad got really mad because it was a nice one. And he's like, what are you doing? I said, I'm trying to be like you. It doesn't work. And so what I did is I brought a bunch of books. Now they make fun of me for this, but I brought a bunch of books and I sit in the boat and I read a bunch of books while they fish. They're like, why don't you just sleep? I'm like, I can't. If I sleep, I won't sleep at night. And then I get weird because Canada's really dark out. If you want the truth, there's bears around it. And that's not good at all. So I go ahead and I'll, I'll read. And the funny thing is, I always realize how great it is to spend time reading my Bible when there's no distractions around. God's voice is a little bit more prominent than it was when I'm sitting on my kitchen counter. But man, what I realize is, this is the most powerful antidepressant. Even if I'm sitting in that boat, or if I'm sitting on my kitchen counter, I realize the time that I spend with God is so important because it is the rudder to the day. It is the rudder to the week. It is the rudder to the month. It is the rudder to life. And we have to tune up our instrument, which is our lives, in order to really truly do what God wants us to do. And that happens before the fight, not after the fight. Now watch this. It's not always fast acting like a magic pill. It moves slowly to our hearts and restores our souls in a very gentle, calm way. I think a lot of you guys will open up your Bible sometimes and you look at it and you say, this is the magic antidote. This is the thing that's really going to cure me. It's going to happen fast. And it doesn't always happen fast. Sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes it's like a drip effect. It's funny, if you have a faucet or a stove that drips slowly, you realize that all of a sudden, I don't know if stoves drip, so, but faucets do. So, I'm just thinking, what, I just said what you're thinking. Um, but all of a sudden, you realize your water bill would be very, very high, right? Because you didn't fix the drip. And so what happens is this would accumulate over and over and over again. All of a sudden, you would realize you get the bill and you'd be like, wow, why is the bill so high? It's because you haven't fixed the leak. Well, if the Holy Spirit is going to speak to us, he has to constantly kind of drip into our souls slowly. And because it'll have a huge effect later on. We can't just look to the Lord and say, hey, God, do this for me. And he's like, what? You don't even spend time with me. So a couple of things as you spend time with God. First and foremost, I would say, Consider your way. I know you have this in front of you, but consider your way. There's a great quote. It said, Proverbs provides both a goal and a route. The goal is successful living. The route is the way of wisdom. The way of wisdom, according to what Proverbs says, is to be alone with the Lord in a time of prayer, a time of study, a time of fasting, and a time of pondering. Some of you don't have a way. You just feel like you're just kind of doing your own thing all over the place. So ask yourself, is your way with the Lord in a time of solitude? Is your way with the Lord in a time of solitude? Are you spending time with the Lord? Some of you are like, Jordan, I get up at the earliest hours of the day. I understand that. Can you get up 15, 20 minutes earlier? Why would I do that? Because I want you to understand the way. I want you to have a drip effect in your relationship with Jesus Christ. I want you to understand that you can let God lead you to rest. But let me ask you a real question. Are you church, okay? Because I asked myself this just this past week and the week before that. Or are we consumed with consumption? Are we consumed with consumption? Is there something in us that just says, I just want to consume, I want to consume, I want to consume, I want to consume. And then what happens is we just get, we just kind of swell up and our consumption hasn't gotten us anywhere. So what we have to do is we have to look at it and say, God, what is the way that you want me to go? 
And I, I guarantee you, if you really would listen to the Holy Spirit, he would say, I want you to spend time with me in a drip effect every single day. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 26 says, Ponder the path of your feet and let your ways be established. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. It's funny how many of us just go out into the world every single day unequipped and unready because we haven't spent time with God. So consider your ways first and foremost, but secondly, I would say, commit your days. This is really important because if I consider my way, my way needs to be walking with the Lord. My way needs to be spending time with God. My way needs to be, and I would even say this church, we've gone wrong here. We've forgotten about the Sabbath. We've forgotten about setting aside one day that is holy and set apart and pleasing to the Lord where we do no work. Some of us would look at it and say, Jordan, that's such a Jewish concept. It is. But do you understand the Jews wanted the Gentiles to practice this because they knew how important it was to get alone with God. And they said, once you get alone with God, you have to commit your days to him. The Bible says in Psalms to commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him to help you do it. And he will. So I guess my next question would be, guys, when you get alone with God, do you trust that he really does have your best intent in mind? Do you trust that he really can help you commit everything you do to him? Do you trust that he really will help you? This is hard. This is, this is something I really, truly struggle with because sometimes I think I can do it better than God can. Sometimes I think my way is a little bit better than his. I said, God, uh, you created me. The Holy Spirit's in me. This must be really what's best, right? No, Jordan. The one who delights in the Lord has righteous desires. So I guess I would ask you as we kind of look at this culmination, especially with Elijah, is what is your morning mindset? In other words, we talked about this just a little bit before, but what is the mindset that you have in the morning? Evaluate the day in the morning when you get alone with God. I'm really realizing how important this is, church, that you spend your mornings set apart for the Lord. Mothers who have children, do you realize that you can get up a little bit earlier than your kids get up? And you can spend time with God. And it made me amazing, church. Let me just ask you a question. Wouldn't this be amazing if all the mothers, all the, all the women who had kids, if they got up in the morning and they walked to their child's door and they just put their hand on their child's door and said, God, this is my beloved. And they said their name and said, I want her day to be done your way. I want to pray for my, my son or my daughter. I want to give them, I want to commit their day to you. Wouldn't that be amazing if every single parent had that mindset that they got up 15, 20 minutes before their kid woke up? I know some of you are like, you don't understand. My kid's like, they don't, get, they don't wake up like that. You know your child. You know when they wake. Wouldn't that be awesome if your kids, before you went to school, you spent time praying for them, and they got up and they came downstairs like, Mom, I want some breakfast, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, hey, I just want you to know that I prayed for you today. I prayed that your ways would be committed to the Lord and that God would do amazing things through you. Here's your lunch. Have a good day. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't it be awesome if moms and dads opened up lunch bags and put Bible verses in kids' lunches so when they opened it, it says, hey, and here's the crazy thing. Your kids don't have to have long passages of Scripture, but what if it just was something simple that says, in all your ways, trust in the Lord. Psalm chapter, uh, or excuse me, Proverbs chapter 3. Like, what if that was just simply something you wrote on your child's lunchbox or a little note, and they opened it up, and the kid at school's like, hey, what's that? And you're like, my mom, she's, she loves me. She prays for me, and she wrote me this verse. What if some student got saved because you had the initiative to put it in their lunch. Can you imagine? 
What if some teacher, when you sat down for a parent-teacher conference, was like, hey, I noticed that you put Bible verses in your kids' lunch boxes. What's that all about? I mean, we love the Lord. We commit our way to him and we commit our day to him. Amazing. Can you imagine the implications? Can you imagine if we really did spend time with God? I could keep going on that, but let me give you a second thing. First Kings chapter 19, the story continues. Watch this. He was afraid. He gets up. He runs for his life, and then he uh, is prepared by an angel, a messenger, to go have this journey. And so he goes and he walks in this journey with the Lord, and all of a sudden he realizes, verse 9, there he came to a cave, and he lodged in it. It's interesting, God doesn't always give us the most comfortable places when we are getting alone with him. It's my first season hunting, and I realized uh, just the other day how uncomfortable a deer stand really truly is. So I'm going to, I'm bringing a pillow out there. See, if God gives you an uncomfortable place, you can make it more comfortable. (laughs) But what happens is he comes to a cave, he lodges in it, and behold, the word of the Lord comes to him. Watch, he's alone with God, and here comes God's voice. He's going to speak to him. He's going to talk to him. He's going to say something to him. Here he says, I love this passage of scripture. Here comes the voice of the Lord. He says, Elijah, what are you doing here? It's probably not what he expected, right? He says, what are you doing here? And Elijah said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars and they killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, am left and they seek my life and they want to take it away. What? Like, Elijah tells God the obvious. I can just picture if God was who he is. He created comedy. He's probably the funniest guy you've ever met. He would look back at him and say, duh. And he looks at him and he says, What? Elijah just told him the obvious. He says, what are you doing here? I've gifted you. I've crafted you. Why are you here? Well, watch this. Essentially, the, the second cure in depression is, even though it's an adult thing, you've got to tell God the problem. Because God doesn't look at him and say, well, why would you say that to me? Why would you give me that? Why would you communicate that to me? Elijah's so comfortable with God, point two, that he tells God the problem. Because God cares for him, he loves him, he wants him. Just tell me the problem. Just tell me what's wrong. In Elijah's time of rest, the word of God comes to him. He says, Elijah, what are you doing here? He says, tell me what's going on. Now the funny thing is God knows the problem, but he wants Elijah to communicate it. I understand this a little bit as parents. Parents, you understand this, right? You walk into your child's room, you say, what's going on here? There's books and stuff and everything's all over the floor. You already know the answer, don't you? You figured it out, but you want your child to? Hey, tell me what's going on here. Why? Because if they acknowledge what's happening, oh, now we can get somewhere. Now the kid looks at him and goes, nothing? (laughs) Nothing, huh? Nothing's going on in here. Nope, okay, shut the door. Lord Jesus, I pray for this child. Sometimes that works. Walk in though, he says, hey, what's the problem? Vocalize it, Elijah vocalizes it, children vocalize it, and then what happens is now we can really get somewhere because what happens here is God wants Elijah to reveal himself. He wants him to be transparent. I know what's going on, but I want you to tell me what's going on. I want you to tell me what's wrong. I want you to tell me what you think the problem is. And then Elijah speaks what's wrong, and then God can sort out what's true from what's untrue. If you go to get away from the Lord, you have to tell God the problem. He knows, but he wants you to verbalize what's going on. 
Oswald Chamber has a devotional book called My Utmost First Highest. He says this. He says, get into the habit of saying, speak, Lord, and your life will become a romance. Every time circumcision, or excuse me, every time circumstances press in on you, that's bad. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. October's Pastor Appreciation Month. Just appreciate his shortcomings, please. Um, wow, I can't recover from that. Every time circumstances, I'm going to start all over again just because you made me. He says this. He says, get into the habit of saying, speak, Lord, it's hot in here. And life will become a romance. Every time circumstances press in on you, say, speak, Lord, and make time to listen. Chastising is more than a means of discipline. It is meant to bring me to the point of saying, now listen to this. Speak, Lord. It is meant to bring me to the point of saying, speak, Speak. Think back to a time, church, when God spoke to you. You remember what he said? As we listen, our ears become more sensitive. And like Jesus, we'll hear God more and more in time. It's amazing, isn't it, that God would listen to us, that God wants us to communicate to him, that God wants us to talk to him. God fully understands when we feel completely alone. He fully understands when we feel completely defenseless and depressed, but he needs us to verbalize what's going on in our prayers. And a lot of us, we just start barging in. We're like, dear Lord, thank you so much. If you could just change my wife's attitude, if you could just change my husband's attitude, if you could just fix these kids that are in front of me, you know, that would be great. He says, you're going to the answer. I want you to tell me what's wrong first. Why do you think your wife or your husband has a problem? Why do you think that your kids have a problem? Why do you think that your job is the problem? Why do you think that your relationships are the problem? Just speak to me. Tell me why you think this is going on. Tell me what you think is happening. Verbalize to me in prayer. It's funny. An audible confession pushes out darkness and allows light to enter. Because what we're saying is, Lord, this is what I think. And now after I speak, I'm going to let you really start to speak to me. Fear and discouragement often cause us to see what's wrong and internalize our fears. Notice that God is quick in his mercy and does not lecture Elijah, but he merely corrects by giving. And God simply gives him a demonstration of his ways. So let me give you some application on how this works in our life, okay? Especially when you spend time in prayer. First of all, You have to, have to, have to, you must. This will change your whole entire prayer life. Repent from yourself. This will change all of how you uh, really approach the Lord. You gotta remove pride. You gotta communicate problems. David does this in Psalms. He says, hide not your face from me, God. Turn not your servant away in anger. Oh, you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, oh God of my salvation. Look at in Isaiah, he says the same thing. He says, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Lack of communication hinders communication, especially in our prayer life as we walk in our relationship with the Lord. God knows, he understands, he gets it. He just wants you to communicate it. So we have to repent of ourselves. We have to approach the throne and say, here, God, here's what's going on. Here's what I think the problem is. And then number two is we have to humble our hearts. 
We really have to humble our hearts. This is hard. I don't like this. But let God communicate what is needed. Now, I spoke, you listen. This is what happens to Job. He says, surely, Job, you tell me what's happening. And Job says, this is what's going on. And God says, okay, you ready? And he says to him, first and foremost, brace yourself like a man. In other words, I'm about to talk and you're about to listen. And there's so many times where God has done that for me. He says, Jordan, I want you to shut up. And I want you to listen to what I'm about to tell you. Okay. And what's funny is when God gets to that point, and I'll be honest with you, church, because I'm like this, what happens is so much of the time we say, nope, don't want to do that. Man, the Notre Dame game is on a four, so I don't really have time. Or man, the kids are here, I don't really have time. Or man, this is going on, I don't really have time to let you speak to me. But yet we talk to God so much, but we don't let him talk so much to us. I don't say that to mean to beat you up, but I mean to say that to encourage you to change some things. Let God communicate what is needed. This is the one I esteem. He who is humbled and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word is what God tells Isaiah. In James it says, the prayer of the righteous man is powerful and effective because he listens, he humbles his heart. Romans tells us in the same way the spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groans and that words cannot express. That's awesome. So you're telling me if I don't know what to pray, I can just say, Spirit, tell me what to say? That's cool. I can do that. I can really do that. I did that just uh, the other day. I I didn't know what to pray. I didn't know how to pray for somebody. I said, Spirit, you, you show me what to pray. And then I just stopped and I listened for a second. I sat in the quiet, which is awkward. And then he started speaking to me. He says, Jordan, pray this way. And then have faith and believe that it's true. If you don't, Know what to say when you're speaking to God. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak for you. You guys, you got the Holy Spirit when you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He comes, he dwells in you as a counselor and a guide. Access him, utilize him. God, I don't know what to pray. Some of you guys have never prayed in your whole life. Maybe you just need to sit down and say, Lord, here I am. I'm making time for you. I read a couple of passages of scripture. I don't know how to pray. Help me out. It's amazing. He'll help. He comes in the time of your despairs. If you have nothing to say, remember God is working on you. And some of you might look at it and say, well, I didn't really have the ability to say anything. And I would say God's working. You're saying, Jordan, how do you know God's working? I say, because you know how hard it is to keep you quiet for 30 minutes, right? That's how I know God's at work with me. If I can't say anything for a while, I'm usually not speechless. And when he gets me speechless, I'm like, God's at work. Look at the third thing. Watch how the story ends. Elijah speaks to the Lord. He spends time with him, alone from him. He gets away in this cave. And all of a sudden, God starts speaking back to him in verse 11. And God says to him, go and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountain and broke it in pieces and rocks before the Lord. Watch as God tangibly shows himself to Elijah. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. What? He wasn't there? Surely we read that wrong. And then after the wind, there came an earthquake, but the Lord, he wasn't in the earthquake. What? God was in the earthquake. And then after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Watch this. I love this passage of scripture. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. And you need to underline this in your Bible. It's so crucial to our spiritual lives. And after the fire, the sound of a what? A whisper. A whisper. Really? Are you crazy? You're the king of the world. You're not in 
this wind, you weren't in this earthquake, you weren't in this fire, but you were in a, a whisper? Have you ever whispered? It's really quiet, isn't it? It's kind of weird. You don't really know what to think of it. We call them inside voices. God's using his inside voice. He's speaking to you. He says, hey, psst. You're so distracted about everything that's going on around you that you forget to listen to my voice. You're so busy focusing on all these results and all this stuff. You're so consumed with consumption that you What God's ultimately telling us, number three is, we got to let him be in control. Because Elijah stares at all of these things, and he swears that the Lord is in control of all these things. But he, he is, but he's whispering. He's quiet. False thoughts put us in, in oppression, but right thinking is freedom for the Christian. Elijah's reply to God reveals how much Elijah was wrong. Elijah believed God wasn't going to do anything. And he essentially says, I've been serving you forever, Lord. Everything seems to be falling apart. Where are you, God, as I faithfully follow you? You guys ever been there? Man, I've been there. Man, I've been in that spot. I'm like, Lord, here, here I am. I've been, I love you for a long time. He's like, Jordan, you don't know what a long time is. But he says, I love you for a long time. I've seen you move in great ways. In an instant, God tells Elijah that he is not the only one left. Keep reading. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak. He went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him that said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he says, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. You already know this. I talked to you about it again. Throw down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. And then I, even I only am left. Essentially what, God, or what Elijah tells God is, I'm the only one here. Really? He says, I'm the only one here. I don't think you understand, God. I'm the only one that's doing your will. <laughs> really? Really? He says, I'm the only one left. And the Lord says to him, go, return to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazarel to be the king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be the king of Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shephat of Abel Moshe, you shall anoint to be the prophet in your place. Seventeen's huge. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. And essentially what he tells him is, you're not the only one who's doing the will of the Lord. You're not the only one who's pleading to me. You're not the only one who has problems letting me be in control. Church, if there's anything that you could take out of this passage today and put it in your lives is, you're not alone in the fight. You're not alone in the depression. You're not alone in the anxiety. You're not alone in the anger. All of us go through it, but not all of us are transparent enough to put it on the surface. All of us have these issues and these circumstances and these situations that present ourselves in life, but some of us are just more vocal about communicating it. Elijah sits there, oh, poor Elijah. Are you kidding me? The Lord just revealed himself three times for you. He just gave you a huge announcement. This is who I am. This is what I'm all about. He whispers to him. 
And he says, you got to understand, Elijah, that I'm in control. Community Gospel Church, you got to understand that God's in control. Person who's sitting in this pew for the first Sunday, you got to understand that God's in control. But the way that God gets in control of your life is that you submit to him and him alone because you believe in the fact that his spirit becomes something that is in us when we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ died on the cross for us 2013 years ago. That's when it really takes place. It's easy for somebody to sit there and say, oh, God is in control. But to believe it and trust it is a whole different story. It's easy for somebody to sit there and say, man, God is in control. But you know what? Ultimately, what we say is, no, I'm really in control. I'm really the one that's in control here. And I like being in control here. And I'm going to say that I trust you and I believe you, but you really don't. Because God comes in and he says, Elijah, listen to me. I want to I do some things in your life. I want to show you some things. I want to work with you. I want you to see that I know the full picture. And I want you to know that I am doing something. And there's other people that are going through the same stuff too. We used to do uh, youth ministry. Um, a lot, actually. And one of the craziest parts about youth ministry is taking road trips. You ever taken a road trip? How many of you guys ever taken a road trip? like a long road trip. Let's say like over four hour road trip. Anyone? Whoa. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 14. Dang. 14 hour road trip. That's a long time. We take these teenagers all over the place. And the crazy thing is I always have to drive because for some reason, parents trust you when you drive your, your students. You shouldn't trust you shouldn't trust somebody to drive students. It's, it's weird. You should trust a group of people to drive students. Okay, so I would look at it and I would say, I'm going to drive. And what would happen is we'd get on these drives and I start to get tired. And since I'm a little bit, you know, confident in myself, I start to fade away. And Bethany would be like, hey, you want me to drive? Be like, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm I'm great. You know, she said, Jordan, you want me to drive? 15, 20 minutes later, Jordan, you want me to drive? No, I'm good. I'm, I'm great. You know, there's, there's 10 teenagers behind us. See, what I'm doing is I'm affirming the fact that I should be your lead pastor and not your youth pastor. <laughs> and uh, she says, do you want me to drive? Said, no, I don't, I'm, good. I'm good. So finally she said, hey, pull the car over this rest stop. I really got to go to the bathroom. And she I'm like, okay. So we pull over. And she said, hey, let me drive. I said, really, you want to drive? Yeah, that'd be great. Just let me, just give me the keys. So okay. Within five minutes, I'm in the passenger seat. You know, this is how it goes, right? Road trip. It's hard to let somebody else drive. For some reason, guys, you get this more than girls get this, right? Because we sit there and we say, no, we can drive, blah, blah, blah. Some of you guys are like, forget it. I let my wife drive all day. <laughs> but what happens is you have to give up control to let the, person, the other person drive. Now, the crazy thing is, it's like asking for directions. This takes a little bit of knowing that the other person really can be in control. Well, watch how this works out, especially let's give some real application for this passage. A person who's depressed needs to realize that God, first of all, is working in their lives. And secondly, they need to understand that God is in control even when they can't see him. This is how it works. First of all, when you give up control, number one, be at peace with it. Okay? When my wife looks at me and she says, Jordan, let me drive, I have to be at peace with it. It's something she wants to do. It's a desire of her heart. She says, I really want to do this for you. Listen to me. It's in your best interest. It's in your best intent because you're going to kill everybody in the back of this van. And then I'm going to have to explain it, and that's not going to be very good. So she says, just be at peace, okay? Psalm 46 says, cease striving and know that I am God. 
In the Hebrew, the phrase cease striving indicates giving up by letting our hands down, essentially what he says. This means that you can't hold the steering wheel. You have to let God drive at some point in time if you want to experience the peace that comes from trusting him. It's true. Be completely honest with you. I don't know how I felt, and I wouldn't know this until now, but I remember when um, we made the decision to leave youth ministry, one of the hardest things we ever did. And putting somebody else and letting somebody else be in control of that, man, really tough. But I tell you what, it's, it's been awesome to watch what's happening with our teenagers. It's been cool to see what God is doing. It's been great to hand those keys over. Trying to be in control and surrendering control at the same time doesn't work. They can't coexist in the same heart. And when we let go, we let God drive our lives and we trust that he knows what's best and we're able to rest and stop, which means that we're ultimately experiencing peace. We're, we're resting. God, I want to I let you be in control. Let your hands down. Let God drive for a little bit. Go spend time with him. Say no to somebody to go spend time with him. Second thing would be to be at rest. When we let God drive, there's a natural rest that will occur. The one who trusts is sitting in the passenger seat, enjoying the scenery. They don't have to worry about where he or she needs to go. And sometimes you get to be kind of that, that backseat driver. You guys have those in your household? You know what I'm talking about? When I put the GPS on, I got one, two, three. I got four women in the car with me. So I just changed the voice to a guy's voice on my GPS. It works way better because then there's two guys to three girls. And then we do like a, a family vote. The one who trusts in, is sitting in the passenger seat. They're enjoying the scenery. They're relaxing. They're letting go. They're realizing that God's in control. Man, this is great. Lord, I love it. Man, this is awesome. I'll never forget being in a boat in Canada, just being like, God, here's my life. Here's what I have to offer. It's not very much. How about you use it? And he's like, I'd love to. I'd love to. Just let me know. That, just let me know. Just let me know. I think this last one's a hard one for us, especially those of us who are depressed. We have to be content. When we take the wheel away from God, it's because we don't trust him. And that leads to emotional and spiritual fatigue because we're doing something that we weren't created to do. God helps us lean on him in dependence. And that leads to contentment and confidence that we're exactly where we need to be, doing exactly what we need to do, fulfilling the role he created us for. Man, that's cool. That's cool. That's awesome. Be content. The Bible tells us in all circumstances, be content. I love what God tells Elijah after 1 Kings, because some of you need to hear this, okay? If you're depressed, if you're bummed out, if you're anxious, if you're all the things that we've talked about in the past four weeks, these three principles are really, truly huge. It says we need to get alone with God. It says ultimately that we need to tell God the problem. And then we look at it and we realize that we need to just petition our request to him. And trust that he is in control. There's a quote that I think is pretty cool from a a guy. He says, what would you advise a person to do if the person felt a nervous breakdown coming on? You guys ever feel like a nervous breakdown is coming on? Sometimes I feel that way. What would you say? Some people thought he would say, hey, go see a psychiatrist immediately. But he didn't. Much to everybody's astonishment, he said exactly what God tells Elijah in 1 Kings 19, 15, and 16. He says, get back to work. He says, get back to work. He said, I would tell them, 
I would tell them, lock up your house, go across the railroad tracks, find somebody in need and help that person. To overcome depression and discouragement, don't focus on yourself. He would say, get involved in the lives of other people. This comes after we've spent time alone with God, told him the problems we're facing and give him control. This is the way we minister best and we win the world to Jesus Christ. So where are you, church? And I'm going to ask you this just as we move into communion. Where are you? Are you at a place in your life where you need to go and be alone with God and petition your request to him and trust that he is in control? Or are you in the phase of your life where it's time to get back to work? Which one are you? I would ask you the same question the two guys asked at the very beginning of the, of the message. If you're under the circumstances, what are you doing under there? Are you going and are you getting alone with Jesus Christ? Or are you at the point where it's time to get back to work. Life is balance. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, we understand so much what you call us to do. And God, we need to, um, we need to just take a moment and balance our lives out. So I would pray by the Holy Spirit's power that you would help us to balance. And so church, what I want you to do right now is, as the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, I want you to balance your life just, just for a second. Which, which one do you need to do this week? Do you need to go get alone with God? Petition your request to him and trust that he is in control? Or do you need to get back to work? You've been doing that. You've been doing that for a season and now it's time to get back to work. This week, I want you to work on balancing that out. I want you to get up in the morning. I want you to spend time with God. I want you to commit your day and your way to him. And I want you to do the work that he's laid on your hands to do. I want you to do it with excellence and I want you to do it with a joy that passes all understanding so that people would know that we're all about making Jesus Christ known at Community Gospel Church. His son Jesus is named known, both near and far. Lord, right now, would you just speak to your people?